Egypt, June 28, 1942. Come on, girl. I know you can do it. Yes, that's the stuff. Royal Air Force Flight Sergeant Daniel Walker was relieved to have managed a textbook takeoff from landing ground 115 in the injured P-40 Kitty Hawk, and soon he was on his way to Capret Air Base east of Cairo for repairs. It was necessary to force a stick right as the aircraft left the ground, but that was a common practice with the P-40s to compensate for engine torque, so it didn't worry him much. The thing he was most concerned about was the faulty air pump, and he hoped it would hold on long enough to carry him to his destination. Truth be known, Daniel was relieved to get away from the chaos for a couple of days. The German Panzer Army, with their huge legion of tanks, persisted to drive British forces eastward into Egypt as they foiled Lieutenant General Ritchie's assault and decimated the 8th Army's forces. In no time, the Germans had punched through the Gazala line, circumvented the cauldron and took Tobruk in northeast Libya, rousing Daniel and the rest of the RAF Squadron 260 from Bahrain airfield and driving them to landing ground 76 near Bur el Mala. But that only lasted a few days before the Germans advanced again, denying the 8th Army a chance to regroup, and the men of Squadron 260 found themselves traipsing eastward from one landing ground to another across northern Egypt as they endeavoured to provide support from the air. In the meantime, the squadron's role was transitioning from aerial combat and ground attack runs to bomber escort missions, giving rise to a new nickname for their American-made P-40s that was really catching on, namely the Kitty Bomber. Of course, they still had to ward off marauding Luftwaffe Messerschmitt pilots who were cleverly picking off P-40s while they flew low and slow during air support, so that meant aerial combat wasn't going away anytime soon. The Curtis Kitty Hawks proved to be nimble and effective in the North African theatre, despite their competitive disadvantages in aerial combat at higher altitudes in Europe. But the English were still outnumbered in the sky and outgunned from the ground, so it was wreaking havoc on the squadron's aircraft, and with the addition of their new bomber support role, they were starting to drop like flies. Thank God the P-40s could take a beating, and this little lady was no exception, her body full of holes from bullets and flak, rendering the fuselage fuel tank unusable. But at least it shifted the plane's center of gravity forward to help with maneuverability, and Daniel felt confident the wing tanks alone would provide plenty of fuel for the trip. There was the issue with her cowl flaps, which was stuck closed, causing the coolant temperature warning light to incessantly pop on, but Daniel kept richening the fuel mixture to compensate, hoping the cooler air and higher altitudes would eventually take care of the problem. Add all of that to the oil pressure issue and a radio that no longer functioned, and he had a fine mess on his hands. But she was airborne now, and the gents at Cabrit would coax her back into shape in a jiffy. It was hot as holy hell in Egypt that day, so the bustling wind from the open canopy was a welcome treat, and Daniel was just about to celebrate his good fortune when he realized the directional gyro heading was wrong. It had to be. If he was flying 45 degrees due east, as the thing suggested, the Mediterranean Sea would be visible to his left. But there was nothing but sand around him as far as the eye could see, and he chastised himself for not paying closer attention. He glanced down to the compass, 
even though he had already confirmed in pre-flight that it had been blown out weeks ago, and he wasn't surprised to find it void of fluid and lifeless. He banked the plane right, keeping his eye on the directional gyro as he completed a sweeping test turn, at least 180 degrees, but the instrument hardly moved. Not good.